Passion with Dr. Lori Batito on CJAD 800. Welcome to the Friday edition of Passion, where just about anything goes. Tonight, uh, sharing some stories with you. Love in the time of coronavirus. And uh, which couples are better at sexual communication? We'll also talk about sapiosexuality. Does intelligence turn you on? And then if we have time, some exercises I'll give you for better sex. Plus, at, after 10.30, we'll play Dirty Minds and your chance to win a one-month unlimited pass to use at 360 Punch, a gym on the West Island. And by the way, you can book your uh, free trial class anytime um, and try out uh, these uh, high-intensity interval training classes that includes boxing. Lots and lots of fun. Uh, but first... Time to check out our inbox. Your texts are always welcome. Connect with passion at 514 800 so I've got some questions on the text board left over from yesterday, so uh, hopefully you're still listening tonight. Can you use plastic saran wrap for oral sex on women? So you can, but it is, saran wrap is porous, actually, so does not is not as effective as, say, a dental dam or um, a condom, which you would cut down the middle and use that to spread over the vulva. Uh, so you should know that, that it's not, um, it's not completely, uh, safe. And our passion poet sent in a poem about safe sex. Someone asked him to write one. So here goes. How well do you know your partner? Is it a chance you are willing to take? You may find out in the future that you made a big mistake. I know condoms are not fun, even less for the guy, but it gives you peace of mind to avoid an STI. You can get one from doing oral, so take precautions there too. So many unknowingly infected, don't let that someone be you. Good one. I also have some questions I want to answer tonight about STI uh, transmission and how to deal with that. Uh, another texture wrote in, can you really be in love with someone abusive? So love is a funny thing because it is uh, usually, a f- we ascribe love to be a feeling when in fact love is really a set of behaviors. Love is action And, um, it's like asking someone who is abusive to their partner, could they still be really loving their partner if they are abusive to their partner? That is not love. That's something else, but it's not love. And so we mistake the feelings that we have sometimes. And, um, sure, many people feel that they love their partner, even though their partner is abusive, but it's a complicated thing love is because it's it is affected by our history our childhood how we were loved how we view love Um, but sometimes we are we love uh, in unhealthy ways and when we're talking about abuse that is that is an example of unhealthy love because even abusive partners will claim they love their partner but is it love when you're hurting someone else? That's a very, very good question. But people who find themselves in these situations still say that, yes, they have loved their partners or love their partners. So it is a complicated thing, which is why it's so important when you're in a situation like that to seek outside help to um, help you make sense of 
your idea of love, which could be completely um, distorted, actually, and distorted by all kinds of factors, usually childhood factors. So working that through at least um, helps you not make that same mistake again and helps you identify what real love is all about. All right, here's a question. It's an STI question. About a year ago, I was sleeping with a friend of mine. Before we had sex for the first time, we both went to get tested for STIs. We both came back negative. We also always use condoms, and I mean always. But one day, I noticed something very strange on my genitals. Although I knew what it was, I thought, I waited, thinking that it was impossible. I looked up everything and anything else it could be and hoped. When I went to the Clinic of Infectious Disease, alas, my first intuition was right. I had herpes. It turns out my friend was a carrier of herpes. He could have had the virus for years with no symptoms. And when we both went for tests, apparently they don't routinely test for herpes. My biggest problem now is telling future partners that I have herpes. It scares me so much and I feel that I will be judged harshly for it. My question is, how do I go about telling a partner that I have herpes? Maybe if anybody has had this experience and wants to share, please, uh, please do. So I don't, I, I certainly don't think you have to immediately tell a partner about your herpes, but if you think that you are going to become sexually active with someone, I do believe we all have a responsibility to let that person know. Not if you've had a past, like a chlamydia or a gonorrhea that's been treated and gone. Herpes stays in the system so and can be transmitted even with no, uh, with no visible uh, symptoms. So I'm not talking about your history of STIs, but the ones that stay in your system, right? The ones that you can actually pass on. So, um, not telling a partner can lead to the increased risk of infection for your partner and of course spreading it to others, right? So if you have, if you don't tell one partner and they don't see any symptoms, they pass it on and pass it on and, and so forth. So, um, and if you don't tell, maybe you're going to start having feelings of guilt and, and fear, right? So that's not good, uh, for you. So, I think you need to bring the subject up with a new partner before you become sexually intimate. Um, and maybe you can start a conversation like, Hey, before we become intimate, we need to talk about some things like contraception, like sexually transmitted infections. And the reason I bring this up is that I have herpes and you need to know about it. And we need to decide together how best to, uh, protect ourselves. So, this is, you know, you, you kind of have to practice this in time. It actually becomes a whole lot easier telling, uh, a new, a new partner and also having all the resources at your disposal. There are so many available for you to learn about herpes, learning about how to manage the disease, how to make sure it impacts minimally on your life. Um, knowing about the medications that are out there, talking to a doctor about it. This is all very important because a solid base about uh, herpes can certainly make it easier for you to tell a partner. And the more we know, the less we fear. And then the more we know, the more we transmit to our partner and the, the more we can allay 
their fears. So this way you'll be able to tell a potential partner the facts. You can dispel any myths. You can correct any misinformation that the person may have about herpes. If they have questions, you'll be able to answer them. So all of that is well and good, but you're probably thinking like, what about getting the words out of my mouth? How am I going to do that? How am I going to, like, when am I going to do that? In what setting? In bed? No. Pick a time when you're in a good mood, when you're relaxed, when you can have this conversation and choose a place that has few distractions and always start on a positive note. Like I'm really happy with our relationship. Um, Rather than say something like, uh, I have some really, really, really bad news to share with you, right? That That's not going to go over very well. So put the person in a positive mindset and then it'll be uh, maybe a little bit easier. Also, your delivery um, matters too because if you act like it's the end of the world, then your partner might agree that it's the end of the world. Uh, so make sure that you end up having a conversation about this and encourage the person to ask you uh, questions and share feelings, etc. So these, um, this is normally how a conversation should go and hopefully it will go like this, but get informed. That's part of that important um, process. Some of your texts coming up and then we'll talk about love in the time of coronavirus. This is Passion on CJD 800. The Passion community wants to share a few uh, of their own tips. Uh, Some people love their pets more than they can love a human. Isn't that sad? Um, It's great to love your pet, but how about being kind and loving and acting in a loving manner to humans as well? Um, I would announce it to the person, so this is for the herpes, uh, how to tell your partner. I would announce it to the person after you both go for tests and you could pretend you just found out. Okay, that's a possibility. Uh, Wait until you are sure you both have somewhat strong feelings for each other. If it's a deal breaker, be understanding, but a wholesome guy will be equally understanding and be willing to move forward. Remember, you are not alone. That's quite true. You are not alone. I, I don't have the exact figures, but it's um, a large, quite a quite a significant portion of the population can have the uh, herpes virus in their uh, in their blood. Uh, also, I'm sure there are lots of people with it and do not even know it. At least you know. Yeah, just like you're the the friend that you had sex with who had no clue that he. Uh, had herpes until you developed something. So there you go. And talking about uh, viruses, a lot of people obviously concerned about the coronavirus and myself included. I'm taking a flight uh, later in the week and I'm uh, (laughs) a little concerned, but I've got all my wipes and I've got all the, I've got a plan in place. I'm not going to touch anything. Uh, Okay, that's fine. But what about when it comes to Uh, dating. A lot of people are worrying about how to protect themselves against close contact that could lead to infection, but close contact is part of dating. So apparently people's love lives are also taking a hit. Uh, The CDC is urging people not to touch their own faces, not to touch other people, (laughs) stay six feet away from people or, or what have you. So obviously if you're dating, uh, you kind of want to meet up and, and see if it, uh, it, if it works. Right. 
But now people are uh, sometimes quarantining themselves or this is becoming more and more common. And so apparently dating is taking, uh, people are getting a little more um, creative. So in Washington state, where most U.S. deaths have so far occurred, some people are learning new way to practice remote romance. Uh, one person says, turning down invitations for drinks and dinner and just staying holed up in my apartment and sexting is about the extent of my love life now. Uh, so there's that. A lot of people are working from home, especially people who are living in uh, Seattle. They're avoiding public places as much as uh, possible. So obviously this is... Um, you know, there's, there's a, you're not being, you're not able to, to go meet your date, but there are plenty of apps and apparently no shortage of people who still want to at least, uh, talk. So there you go. I think there's a, maybe some cabin fever there, but people are using these apps for, uh, you know, a little sexting here and there and, and flirtation and, and such. Uh, text writes, I'm surprised that's not a standard STI test. Should have been discovered that he was a carrier before she got it. Yeah, no, it isn't a standard one. You actually have to get a separate one for that. Uh, Dr. Lori, I know someone who was in her mid-20s when she contracted herpes. She ended up with a new partner who she was honest with. They married, and 20 years later, they have two wonderful children and are still doing well. Honesty is important. Listen, I know plenty of people who have herpes, who've married, who like that has not been an issue. It's the honesty part. You protect as much as possible. I remember hearing one couple say, well, she has herpes. Well, I'm with her for life. I get it. Okay, no big deal. We're in it together kind of thing. So again, the attitude uh, certainly matters. I bet you didn't realize that even the coronavirus is entering into the porn world, okay? So uh, a search for coronavirus on Pornhub returns 112 videos. Uh, I won't even say the names of them, but some of them have to do with the being in the quarantine room and, and what have you. So, and, and it's not just Pornhub on other uh, X hamster also, they have, uh, videos with this kind of thing, but apparently these videos are, uh, going viral, uh, as one maker of the video says, I think people are attracted to COVID-19 themed porn the same way people who are scared of their shadow are attached to horror movies. We are all searching for things that make us come alive. This is um, by Spicy, the male half of the Spicy and Rice duo. They made a bunch of these videos. COVID-19 is something that brings fear and mystery to pretty much everyone in the world right now. You need to be able to feel something. And what better way to make you feel something than the global crisis we are all in? We thought we would use our porn as an avenue to get some legitimate information out with some comic relief included to get people interested and reduce our chances of being banned this sparked the idea knowing every current events event ends up as a porn eventually which is true people are always interested in that kind of thing anything that's out there you'll you're going to find porn about it i don't know why um we knew people would be searching for it so and they were right it's uh it, it, it has gone uh viral 
<laughs> Text writes, and you have a better chance of getting an STD than getting a vi- getting the virus. We cannot crawl into a cocoon. This is no way to go through life. Just take required precautions. Listen, I'm with you on that. I'm not canceling travel plans. I'm not going to any cities, of course, that uh, have uh, you know cor- like quarantining people or closed there, what have you, what have you. Just going to the U.S. But nonetheless, it's something you you still you have to practice regular um, flu hygiene, like in the winter time, always, I always do this anyway, when I'm on an airplane, I, I wipe down everything around me, everything, the seat and the armrests and the tray table and the, the, uh, the screen that the TV screen, all of that. And, um, I often get sick, unfortunately, coming home from uh, off a trip, and there's always somebody coughing near me and what have you, and it makes me crazy, but what are you going to do? So you take the best precautions and, and, and hope for, for the best. That that's, uh, that's what I'm going to do. A study about older men dating and marrying younger men. So this is becoming more and more common, but what age gap between an older woman and a younger man is still shocking in your opinion? So apparently most people do not care if a woman is older by nine years or less. Um, However, about 10% are shocked if a woman is 10 to 12 years older and almost 40% think it is outrageous if a woman is 13 or more years older than the guy. Uh, So what are the pros and cons on dating a younger man for women? A strong connection is real, no matter what age you are, of course. A younger man can recharge your sense of adventure and energy. Intimacy can be great. Uh, You may feel more accomplished. You may feel more confident. Some younger men might feel intimidated of your accomplishments and where you're at in life. Uh, Maybe a, a conversation about starting a family might be a little bit complicated. And guess what? A lot of people around you will judge you. So you have to be able... Uh, to handle that. So, you know, there are a lot of people who are uh, care about climate change, and I think uh, that's a very important topic these days, but there are plenty out there uh, of climate change deniers. OkCupid, which is a dating site, decided to make things a little bit easier for its users by allowing an option to filter out climate change deniers, which I find interesting. I don't know if they have the same thing for like whether you're a Trump supporter or not a Trump supporter. I know that that is an issue for some couples. I've seen it in my practice. I've seen couples have rip-roaring fights over it. So, um, but that doesn't seem, I don't know if they have that as a filter, but climate change is one of those uh, one of those things. The company said there's been a 240% increase in mentions of environmental terms on people's profiles like climate change, environment, global warning, Greta Thunberg, and recycle. So people actually mention these things in their, um, in their profile. An overwhelming majority of OkCupid users also care about the climate crisis. 97% of them believe climate change is real and 82% say they're concerned about it. 
uh, more than 90% of users also said they take action to correct something they do after discovering it's bad for the environment. So OkCupid's okay, algorithm matches you with people who seem to share your interests and uh, beliefs and how you answer questions about climate change could have an effect on who you match with even if you don't have the denier filter on. So I, I just it's interesting now that they've put those kinds of um, filters on on dating apps. Uh, Texter writes, your kids are out all day. What are you going to do? Drop them in an anti-bio bath? Let's not panic. <laughs> yes, let's not panic. It's hard not to panic when you hear, when that's all you hear on the news, right? Over and over and over again. So uh, it can be quite, uh, quite scary. Uh, by the way, uh, coming up, we will talk about uh, sapiosexuality. Have you heard of that? Sapiosexuality. You're going to learn a new term. You're going to share it with your friends at your dinner party this weekend. I'm going to tell you all about that. Are you one of those? Are you a sapiosexual? You might be. You might be. And that's not a bad thing. <laughs> Just saying. Uh, and coming up after 10.30, we'll also play Dirty Minds, which uh, is when I give you three dirty-sounding clues, which uh, the answer is not at all dirty. If you, Unfortunately, if your mind tends to go into the gutter more, then uh, it'll be difficult for you to get the answer. But if not, you'll get it. And all you have to do is call in with the right answer, and you, the first caller through will get a one-month unlimited pass to use at 360 punch and of course throughout the night if you have questions specific questions about sex you can send those along if you have comments about any of the stories i'm sharing you can also text me at 514-800 coming up dirty minds and sapio sexuality A safe place to work out the kinks in any relationship. It's Passion with CGAB 800's Dr. Lori Batito. Time to play some Dirty Minds. Here are your three clues. The first person who calls in at 514-790-0800, you don't have to come on the air, but the first person to get it right will win a one-month unlimited pass to 360 Punch. You ready? If I'm loaded, you can bang me harder. You shove your fist inside me before you do it. Mike Tyson has stuck his big one in me. What am I? Hmm, what am I? 514-790-0800. Not an easy one but has to do with the prize, I'm just saying. All right, are you a sapiosexual or a sapiophile? You know what that is? That is someone who thinks that high intelligence is sexually attractive. It's not just that they find uh, it's desirable to have a partner with a high IQ. These people are actually sexually aroused by high levels of intelligence in another person. 
There hasn't been much work done on this, I have to tell you, many studies, but uh, my colleague Justin Lee Miller has talked about this, so um, I'm going to share some of the stuff that he, uh, he shared online. So there's a new study published in the Journal of uh, Intelligence. It offers the first empirical evidence that sapiosexuality does indeed exist. However, the results suggest that it is not really all that common. <laughs> I'm looking at the uh, guesses on the text board. Gray, you got it. I'm not saying it out loud until we get a um, <laughs> a winner on, on that one. And uh, oh, we do have a winner. Okay, Mark, congratulations. If I'm loaded, you can bang me harder. You shove your fist inside me before you do it. Mike Tyson has stuck his big one in me. And I use two of them probably every morning at 360 Punch. The boxing glove is what it is. So there you go. <laughs> I didn't think it was so easy when I read it. But anyway, uh, so Mark, congratulations. Hope to see you at 360 Punch on the West Island. Okay, so sapiosexuality. So they looked at 400 people and they were given a questionnaire on sapiosexuality. These were the statements that they had to answer and they had to answer, you know, whether, uh, I don't know if it was on a, whatever, on a scale, right? A scale of one to five. So a physically attractive person with only average intelligence is a turnoff for me. Listening to someone speak very intelligently arouses me sexually. My preference for a mate is someone with average intelligence a very high level of intelligence alone is enough for me to be attracted to someone sexually. I cannot imagine myself in a sexual relationship with someone who works in a very intellectually demanding job. I would likely feel sexually attracted to someone significantly more intelligent than me. I could potentially feel sexually attracted to someone significantly less intelligent than me. It would excite me sexually to have an intellectually stimulating conversation with a potential partner. A very high level of intelligence in a partner is necessary for me to be attracted to them sexually. Do you fit any of these? Uh, so basically there was, um, you know, went from one to five, strongly disagree to, to strongly agree. And what the researchers found was that sapiosexuality scores were almost perfectly normally distributed, in other words, in a bell curve. That meant that most people scored near the middle with far fewer scoring on the extreme ends. So true sapiosexuals or persons with average scores close to five were relatively few and far between. 8% of participants scored above a four, while just 1% scored above a 4.5. Interestingly, a similarly small proportion fell at the other extreme of the scale, suggesting that some people find high intelligence to be a turn off. So just as many people thought it was, felt it was a turn off, then some felt it was a turn on, although we don't really have a word for that. So, um, so there is an opposite of sapiosexuality. That would be interesting uh, to study. So a, a question for you, does high intelligence turn you on or turn you off? Or it doesn't really matter. That's not something that actually arouses you. So we could do our own little survey here 
uh, and see. Not that you just prefer somebody who's intelligent, but is it sexually arousing to you to be with someone who is highly intelligent? 514-800 to text in uh, your thoughts, of course. Which couples are better at sexual communication? Sexual communication is something we talk about a lot on the show. You know how I feel about it. You know I feel it's extremely important, which is why we do this show really, is to get people talking about sexuality and hopefully even listening to this show and and some of the topics that come up can open conversations uh, with your partner as well. But believe it or not, sexual communication skills are not related to marriage. You would think that married people would maybe have better sexual communication, right? Because they've been together a long time. They feel safe. They feel comfortable. But guess what? That is not what people found. So that these new findings from this study shows that it is not about uh, commitment. Time and commitment are, are important, yes, in other areas, but they are not so important when it comes to couples talking about sex. Um, they found that there was no correlation with uh, marriage and improved sexual communication. In fact, married people reported lower rates of sexual communication skills than most of the other groups. And they looked at like eight other like variations of, of couples, right? Dating, living together, et cetera, et cetera. So only the never married cohabitating people were comparable to the married people for, and this was for both genders, Uh, Singles and couples who live apart showed much higher levels of sexual communication skills. So when we're talking about sexual communication, we're really talking about the degree to which individuals can express their preferences regarding sex, so what they like. Um, These uh, people with higher sexual communication skills are more likely to express their Uh, sexual desires, more likely to initiate their preferred uh, behaviors, and uh, are assertive enough to ask their partners to fulfill their uh, desires. But why is it, the question bears, that married couples are not great at sexual communication? So here's what they speculate. The first possibility is that the average length of marriage is longer. Thus, we see a diminishing marginal effect as several longitudinal studies show in researching other effects of marriage over time. This means that with time, the will and passion to invest in asking what you want actually declines. Hence, married people report lower levels of sexual communication skills over time. The second possibility is that the correlation between being married and reporting high levels of sexual communication skills works in reverse. People with lower levels of sexual communication skills maybe are more likely to marry. They might want to feel safer and cover for their lower levels in this area and thus are negatively self-selected into marriage. So those with Lower levels of sexual communication get married earlier and stay married for more time, which affects 
the results. A safe place to work out the kinks in any relationship. It's Passion with CGAD 800's Dr. Lori Batito. Why married couples have the worst sexual communication when compared to other types of couples like single, unmarried, not living together. Uh, I think this person writes, I think it's because you reach a comfort level sexually. You are aware of likes and dislikes and in some cases sex becomes a routine, sadly. Uh, hi, Dr. Lori. The contrary of sapiosexual, when you are aroused by somebody's intelligence, is <laughs> redneck sexual. <laughs> That's cute. Very cute. Uh, and the answer to dirty mind someone wants to know was boxing gloves. Uh, so got that. Another text writes, it doesn't turn me on necessarily if someone is intelligent, but it does turn me off if they are stupid. So there's that. Uh, another texter, so is he reciting a Latin dictionary as he makes love to you? I'm not sure that that would necessarily uh, indicate intelligence, but okay. Um, let's see. This was a headline. Caught my attention. Does it catch yours? Porn use is linked to lower sexual satisfaction in men. But caveat here, only if these men are religious. So several studies have found that pornography use is associated with lower levels of sexual satisfaction. So it's a pretty consistent finding. So the conclusion, without looking in deeply into it, many have concluded that porn necessarily has negative implications for people's sex lives. But porn per se is actually not the problem here. It is not the porn, which is why... You have to be careful when we, when we hear, um, especially when, when I hear like the, the far right or a lot of anti-porn people talking, the way that they look at the research or skew the, just what they take out of the research to make their statements make, drives me crazy because it doesn't look at all the sides and it doesn't put it in the context. Uh, so anyway, this, this is a good study. I really like this. So these researchers have found that the links between porn use and negative sexual and relationship outcomes are dependent on religiosity. We got, had a question this week, in fact, from a guy who, um, was watching porn and said he was very, you know, he was religious and it, he just felt guilty about it and he wasn't doing it excessively or in a troublesome manner, but yet the, what he felt about doing it was related to his religious upbringing. But anyway, side note. So specifically those who are more religiously devoted tend to report the most negative effects of porn use, suggesting that the real issue here is one of moral incongruence. These folks are participating in an activity that conflicts with their religious values. The study uh, is published in the Journal of Sex Research. And um, in this study, researchers analyzed data. It's a U.S. Uh, a U.S. sample of over 1,500 adults. 
And uh, the participants were surveyed about how satisfied they were with their sex lives, how often they visited adult websites, their frequency of attendance at worship services, and the extent to which they take the Bible literally. What they found was that pornography use was unrelated to women's satisfaction. Um, By contrast, it was negatively related to men's. In other words, male porn users were less sexually satisfied than non-users, and this was true for both single men as well as guys in relationships. However, further analysis revealed that for men who attended worship services infrequently and or who did not take the Bible literally, the link between porn use and sexual satisfaction disappeared. The link only existed for the true believers or those who were very involved in their religious communities and or who were Bible literalists. So what is the conclusion? If porn were inherently bad for our sex lives, we'd expect to see an association between porn use and sexual satisfaction across the board, regardless of people's religious beliefs. That's not what happened. Instead, it seems that the effects of porn are dependent on the moral context in which it is consumed. So those who believe that using porn is immoral are likely to feel guilty or ashamed of their behavior and thus in turn, and this is probably what explains their lower levels of sexual satisfaction. Interestingly, that it only emerged for men and not women, probably because men are bigger consumers of porn overall, and maybe because they consume it so much less that it doesn't doesn't give them that moral incongruence. Uh, so, very interesting. To we need to take into account religiosity and moral concerns when we are looking at. Um, pornography use if we really want to understand the effects of porn on on someone but this study concludes and I can tell you just from people I see and talk to that porn use is largely the effects of porn use largely a function of the moral context surrounding it Uh, A couple of texts. When people prefer porn and give partner less attention, you have a problem. Oh, yes. I didn't say that uh, porn cannot bring uh, problems in the relationship. But by and large, for the majority of people who watch porn, it does not pose a problem in their life. But, yes, that would be a problem uh, for sure. The world's first video-only dating app launching it will be, it's about to be released. It's called Loco, L-O-K-O. It's the world's first video-only online dating app, and it's the only app that holds matches accountable to meet in real life. The app, unlike other apps, allows you to make your first impression via video. If you both match, then you have 24 hours to schedule your first virtual date or else you will be unmatched. You get to chat for 15 minutes as an icebreaker before deciding if you want a second date. So apparently it's free to download and maybe there's some other fees involved there, which there always are. So if you're interested, uh, search it up, look for it. It's called L-O-K-O. So many apps coming out now, right? It's like every day I'm hearing about some other app that someone is on. 
Uh, what else can I share with you that uh, won't take too, too long? Oh, yes. Let me go through. I promised you I would do this. Some exercises for better sex. So cardio, anything that gets your heart beating faster and breathing harder boosts what? Your blood flow. So cardio exercise is very important. Swimming. Researchers have found that swimmers in their 60s, men and women, had sex lives similar to people 20 years younger. Why? Swimming builds endurance, boosts blood flow, and improves flexibility and strength. Basically, anything that increases blood flow, builds endurance, improves flexibility and strength will all help you in the bedroom. So, doing work on your core, so your abs, for example, uh, is very good. Uh, Here's a pose to stretch your inner thighs and your groin area called the frog pose. So, uh, kind of going down like a frog where you stretch out your, or lying down and and spreading your legs in a froggy uh, position. That helps too. The hinge also. So, this is um, when you lean back, you're uh, sitting on your knees basically, and you lean back at a 45 degree angle for a few seconds before returning upright and repeating. So, you're stretching those uh, ham- those um, uh, thigh muscles right there. Kegel exercises, something else that's to strengthen your pelvic floor muscles. Doing the plank. Have you ever done a plank? See how long you can hold a plank. This is amazing for the deepest layer of your ab muscles. This is uh, often in yoga or in um, uh, Pilates. This is a, a, a favorite exercise. It's also the best exercise for developing core, your core strength and uh, upper arm strength, thighs, and your butt. So all of these, of course, these are great muscles to stabilize you in, uh, in the bedroom. The cat-cow stretch, another yoga move that's uh, really very good, this, this pose which limbers up your spine. Um, doing exercises like the pelvic thrust, again, something that uh, could also be very useful. So those are some exercises you can now do at home to, uh, well, except for the swimming, uh, that you can uh, help yourself in the bedroom. And that wraps up this Friday edition and this week of passion. So I want to thank all of you for hanging out with me. I always have a good time talking to you always. Um, if, uh, you want to get in touch with me, you can uh, do that on social media or better yet through email, uh, at my website, drlaurie.com. Don't forget that our, uh, podcast of all the shows are up there. So if you've missed any, you can always catch up. I want to thank Nicole, our technical producer, Linda Delisi, our passion researcher as well. Coming up next here on CJD, we bring you the CTV national news. Have a great rest of the evening. Uh, and a fabulous weekend and an international women's day on uh, Sunday and please remember to live your life with passion now tell me do you feel